to this. You know what? And in the ring with Dan and Benny, hey, brother, man, hey, he's about the most cat. I just love him to death. I love you. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're the best. I'm telling you, brother, in the ring with Dan and Benny. Yeah. We love you. Thank Woo. you so much, Dan. Oh, yeah. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spasciano, joined, as always, by the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. Benny, how you doing, buddy? Dan, I got bad news and I got good news. So let's let's do the bad news. Bad news is what started as good news. I, I, I met this delightful young lady named Winnie online, and, you know, we kind of flirted back and forth, and uh, we decided to meet uh, at a restaurant. And uh, what I did when I saw her, I found out that Winnie actually was short for Winnebago. And uh, I, by the way, the restaurant is now closed. I guess I should have got the tip off when she said she was from uh, Forest City, Iowa, which is the home of Winnebago. <laughs> That's horrible. That the, good like news, the good news is the New York Yankees won their series against the Cleveland, I was going to say Indians, Cleveland Guardians, and they advanced now to the Houston Astros. But um, and I apologize in advance. The uh, weather changes here, kicking my uh, kicking my behind. I'm uh, what what is it they say, Benny? I'm doing the job to the, the weather tonight, so uh, I might have to lean on there. you a little bit. But speaking yeah, of so uh, right. uh, stepping up, um, you're gonna talk a lot, and our uh, hopefully our guest uh, has a lot to say tonight. Why don't you tell everybody who we got online with us this evening? We have a great guest who is not only a, a great manager in professional wrestling, but he's also a great lawyer. And we're not talking about a Ham and Egger. From the, uh, the law offices of Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. We're talking about a great barrister, the the elite of the elite, the master of the contract, or as uh, Broken Matt, Matt Hardy would say, contract. Uh, Buddy Satello Esquire. Buddy, welcome to Ban- Dan and Benny in the Ring. Benny, Benny, Benny and the Dan, <laughs> the Dan. 1974, Elton John. Yes, you guys need to have somebody record that as your theme song. <laughs> we'll get on that. Who, Mariah Carey, I think she's available. There you go. There you go, guys. Thanks for having me on your show again. Um, uh, uh, Benny bailed me out literally at the last second a couple weeks ago uh, on my show, and it turned out to be one of our highest-rated shows. So, you know, it's uh, it's nice to be able to return the favor. And, again, I owe uh, 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 Benny an emergency co-hosting, you know, in case of break glass, you know, something happens and he needs an emergency show host. I'm 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 I, I'm indebted to uh, uh, Benny for uh, for uh, bailing me out last uh, couple in, weeks. In, in the spirit of true transparency, I was literally in bed in my underwear when you when you messaged me half asleep. <laughs> and yet that was a great show. It and we was. Had a it lot, was. It was a Seinfeld episode. It was about nothing, but we really we we pulled it off. Well, it was like talking to a friend of mine, you know, on the phone. It was, it wasn't like I was being interviewed. It was more like, Hey man, let's catch up on some stuff that we haven't caught up on in a while. And we just talked back and forth. And I have a feeling that tonight's going to be kind of the same, you know, except that we've got Dan here. So, so, you know, it's a threesome rather than, than a twosome in your underwear. Well, I mean, considering in the, uh... I don't like that mental image at all. In, in, the, in the first few moments of the show, uh, I managed, uh, I've been a Redskins fan, I was a Redskins fan my whole life, so I made fun of their name, uh, Benny told a uh, bad joke, and now we've got images of Benny in his underwear, so I'd say this episode yeah. is off to a great start, guys. Flying start. I, th- I thought that uh, Washington should have gone with the name The Hogs, H-A-W-G-S. If you really are a Redskins fan, and my friend, my best friend from college and, and still today, he's a huge, he's from Bethesda, Maryland. Oh, yeah. So he's... He, also a hardcore um, uh, uh, Washington fan from from back in the day, you know, with the Riggins years and and, oh, and so 
Yeah, and and we both thought that they should have gone with the hogs because they they had a bunch of people who would dress up in pig yeah, the, costumes. The hogettes. Yeah. So and 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 that was all you know a tribute to the line. I thought that would have been a great thing, but I think one of the problems was that you know little Danny Snyder, who now you know makes us wax nostalgic for Donald Sterling, right? You know, oh. we we all wish we had oh, Georgia Frontieri. That we all wish we had Georgia Frontieri instead of uh, Dan Snyder to kick around. Hard shot. Oh, man. Hard shot. Thank you very much. Jim Ursay just came out today and said there's grounds to for for Dan Snyder to be forced to sell the team. When you've lost the moral high ground to Jim Ursay, maybe you need to just leave. I know, but what do you think about the fact that he... And I know this doesn't have to do with wrestling, but I'm still fascinated about what you guys think. What do you think about Snyder's quote that, like, I've got stuff on them and that he's had private eyes follow them around? I think the the, the, the fact is, because they... Uh, and we're going to get a little off topic here, Benny. We might talk about something besides baseball. The, uh, That's all right. It, it was an anonymous source from inside Washington's corporate office leaked to was ESPN or whatever that Dan Snyder had spent millions of dollars over the last several years uh, on private investigators and investigation firms digging up dirt, following people, taking pictures. And it's implied that he has stuff on everybody, including including Roger Goodell, which I wonder Given the name, I mean, when you're when you've been investigated by Congress twice, and the the findings and all the terrible things Washington's had, excuse me, all the terrible things Washington's had, they've they've punished owners for significantly less than that. So he's Snyder's got to have something. And and, and I mean the the NFL's an old a good old boys league, and you know if if the owners are worried, I mean look at. Uh, Look at what happened with Gruden out and out with the Raiders. You know, you just, think he has just, a file folder in the back of his hard drive that says Vincent K. McMahon Jr. Just in case he needs it. It's like, hey, if I'm spending millions of dollars on 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 private investigators, why don't I just send one out to just check on Vince McMahon just in case I need some extra leverage? <laughs> well, much like uh, the the significant and noticeable increase in quality of the WWE product over the last few weeks and months. Uh, anybody, uh, I'm I've got this half empty Gatorade bottle in front of me. I'm pretty sure that would you put that in the corporate offices in Washington and the team improves. So I, I do not see it possible for Washington's not to get be a better team with someone else besides Snyder in charge. So. Uh, don't get me started. I have Carson Wentz as my second quarterback on one of my fantasy teams, so I'm not really going to go any further down the Washington well, road. I'm a I'm a rock solid 49er fan, and I took my lumps this weekend. Washington, you know? Washington's excited though. Fan, a lot of Washington fans are. I mean, you never want to be happy with someone's injury, but uh, with them announcing that Taylor Heineke starting this weekend, they're uh, he's very popular I'm among the Washington fans. So. You're not going to pay a lot for that muffler. Let me just tell you that much. That's funny. But we've gotten a little, <laughs> a little off topic today. Yeah, Benny has just signed off. He's just like said, if we're going to talk Washington football, I'm I'm back in interrupt. I didn't interrupt Benny when he got to praise the Yankees. And as an Orioles fan, Benny and I differ on baseball. So, As a Giants fan, when the Dodgers lost, that was my World Series. That was that was as much fun as a Giants fan to watch as it was just slightly behind the Giants actually winning a World Series because I can taunt Dodger fan for the rest of their lives over this. <laughs> what a, I mean, joke. they won what 111 games. Colossal with a capital K is what yeah, I said. Yeah, you win 111 games, you don't make it into the World Series. You don't make it into the second round. Right, you don't you even make get, it into the uh, the NLCS, right, exactly. You yeah. get beat by a team that you were 22 games ahead of in the division. You win one game against them in the postseason? I laugh at that. I laugh at that, gentlemen. That is something that I find of high comedic value and something that, again, as a sports fan, 
there, you know, you have two loves, right? You have the love of your own team that you root for winning it all, and you have the love of the team that you hate the most eating shit and absolutely go, going to hell. Yeah. And I, I if said, Johnny, oh, I'm going to like, hopefully, I didn't violate the FCC there, but no, you I've, know, I've made an art form of that there, so don't worry about it. <laughs> Very good. Very good. But if, if when you see the team that you hate absolutely bite it and 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 get their nose rubbed in it, and have the fans that have been writing you all season long suddenly fall from the the the, the top of the mountain and land with a splat on the pavement, come on, there's some fun in that. Yeah, so you got, I mean. I would have absolutely done cartwheels if the uh, if the Mariners had upset the Astros. Made I was losing for the yeah. Game eighteen inning game was a thing of of art, and I know people were were upset because oh it's so boring. Bring back the Ghost Runner on second. And I was like, no. If you understand baseball, you understand that that Houston Seattle game is like once in a lifetime kind of game that you remember. Like even though it's not your two teams that you care about. Yeah, well, I always said as a as a, growing up as a kid, my two favorite teams were the Redskins and whoever was beating Dallas. So, except although, are you really happy to see Philadelphia go six and zero? I mean. It could be worse. I, I'm I'm Italian, so I'm legally obligated by by law to have family in New Jersey. So I have I have family that are I I have family that are Eagles fans. So I, I'm always happy for them. Wow, that really that that's a great line. All right, so I know that that we've probably alienated all of your non uh, uh, football and and baseball followers so we might have to get back to the subject of wrestling but i could well, i could really talk sports with you guys for the entire hour and we, we would even you know, of the many guests that we've had on the show in the you know years that we've been doing this it's always been the compliment we've always received is that it comes off more like a conversation than an interview and i you know sometimes conversations go on a little random tangent but getting back to it, you, uh, we talked before about your your indoctrination, as as you called it, into the world of professional wrestling. The last time you were I don't on, call it, you did. I I call it my wild, wacky, incredibly strange travels into a world that both resembles high school that never grew up, the military, a a sports organization, and the circus all combined into one thing. <laughs> That's what I call it. Oh, okay. Well, that's, I like that. I'll not quite fit on a t-shirt, but I like that. Yeah. But, it's um, a wrestling is a com- combination of all those things. It's basically a bunch of guys who never really grew up in high school and still haven't grown up because they're living their childhood dreams. You know, it's kind of like the military in the sense that you have dues that you have to pay. And if you don't show that you pay dues and you're willing to make the unit work, then you're not going to work out in a wrestling organization. It's also like, you know, the circus, because you go from town to town. And some shows, a ton of people show up. And some shows are, you know, bomb scares. And, and you have more people who are performers than you have as an audience. And I've been on doing, I've done all of those types of shows. You, you know, it's funny as a, as a Navy veteran myself, I can respect that comparison because I, I knew some characters in the military that, that match almost verbatim. Some of the stories I've heard from wrestling locker rooms, but you, you go on this adventure of yours, the, the natural, it almost, you said it almost felt like a natural transition, but I'm curious what made you decide to become a heel manager? Well, first of all, I've loved wrestling as long as I could love anything. I mean, as long as I remember, like, being a fan of anything, the 49ers, the Giants, all about, like, when I was about five years old, me and my brother, we would turn on big-time wrestling, the Shire stuff that was, you know, uh, in the uh, early 70s. I was born in 67, so we're talking, like, 72, 73, 74. We'd be watching Pat Patterson and High Chief Peter Maivia and uh, Ray Stevens and um, 
also at that time, you had the Grand Wizard. And the Grand Wizard is a guy that really stuck out to me as a, 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 an influential and maybe underrated uh, manager because he was the first manager I ever remember to not be an ex-pro wrestler and never, never touched a wrestler or was touched by any wrestler. Can you folks ever, can you guys remember him ever being bumped at all? He never took a bump as far Mm -hmm. as I know. Yeah. So he was able to do everything, all the heat that he generated. And his, he, he, there's, there's a certain level. I, I, one of the questions I'm going to jump already and, and answer some of your questions for you because you're going to ask me like what influenced me so much. I grew up reading Mad Magazine. Did you guys grow up reading Mad Magazine? Alfred E. Newman, I, you got yeah. it. Alfred E. Newman is one thing, but Al Jaffe was another. Okay, Al Jaffe. I first of all, he's still alive. Did you know that? He's 101, uh, maybe wow. 100 years old. So he's still alive. So it proves the comedy can do something about making you live longer. But okay. anyway, That's good to know. Um, his snappy answers to stupid questions was one of the most brilliantly written comedic materials that was ever put on this planet. His sarcasm and his ability to take a dumb question and to make the person sorry for even asking it was brilliant to the highest degree. Do you guys remember reading those? Yes, I do, actually. Yeah. Yeah. All of my disposable personal income it, back in the day went to wrestling and Mad Magazines. And I, eat, I would even buy the, uh, the, the Mad Paperback books. Yeah, and they had a snappy answers to stupid questions number of paperbacks. And, and I used to read those. And, and, and there's this whole level of borscht belt comedy, which is dead now because the borscht belt itself is, is gone. Do you guys, are you guys familiar with that? The Catskills, right? Yes. And guys like Henny Youngman and Don Rickles and a lot of other just like, yeah, Shecky Green. They're, they were all sort of like, they had this sort of rapid-fire East Coast insult comedy thing. But they would never work blue. They would never work blue. You know, uh, uh, Buddy Hackett is another, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 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 and even guys that you would not necessarily associate with the Borscht Belt, but still in that same era, guys like Red Fox, and uh, 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 guys like um, uh, 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 Richard Pryor, you know, that had this sort of like attack comedy, George Carlin, that could, you know, really, when they got down to it, insult people without sometimes them even knowing they were being insulted. And, and to be condescending, but in a comedic way, and again, not working blue, not working with racial epithets or anything like that, um, to make those, uh, and, and Bobby Heenan is probably when you think about like the Borscht Belt comedian in the form of a wrestling manager, that's Bobby Heenan, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I think he, a lot of comedy to his, his, uh, delivery. yeah, the, the, the snap, the, like you said, the one-liners that weren't direct insults, but were clearly insulting. He was the master of those. Absolutely. And just his his wit and his ability to just generate stuff that was corny, you know, corny jokes, stuff that your uncle tells you or like your great uncle at this stage would tell you, you know, while you're fishing, that kind of stuff. Like, you know, the stuff that, 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 that he would bring up while you're watching a football game with him. That's the sort of stuff that Bobby Heenan, the kind of jokes Bobby Heenan would bring. And I love that kind of Comedy as insult as as a motivating factor to get people to hate you as a manager type material. And the guy that really, I think, brought it to a finest point, the finest point you can bring it to, and to me, that was Andy Kaufman. And I think that he doesn't get as much respect as, a, as an amazing manager, but he was 
absolutely one of the greatest heat generators of all time with the way he promoted himself down in that Memphis territory. I, you know, buddy, no. Um, I, you know, I grew up on Long Island, New York. I was very blessed uh, when I started watching in 1968. So I had Bobby Davis, Wild Red Berrien, and Homer O'Dell. And after they left, I got Lou Albano, Fred Blassie, and Ernie Roth, the Grand Wizard, uh, who was, you know, to me, absolutely one of the best. I mean, they're all great. And then and, uh, after that, then you get Mr. Fuji, Jimmy Hart, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. There was always, seemed like there was always three. Uh, and you know the the babyface managers. You had Arnold Scullin, but I don't. I didn't even really consider him a manager. But um, I'd probably put Cornette over Fuji. That's that's my 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 uh, my as far as influences go. You know, I I always was kind of a of an offshoot of Jimmy Hart, Annie Kaufman, and and um, uh, uh, Jim Cornette. Those are. <laughs> Sort of like the, the 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 guys that I borrowed from to make the Buddy Sotelo character what it is. Who uh, now when Stevens was a heel out in San Francisco, who was his manager? Uh wow, that's that goes back a long I mean, time. Or, I, who were the who were the the you know that was I guess uh, Ernie Roth was out there for a while. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you're talking. I rarely ever went to any matches because my dad did not like wrestling. He liked it in the 40s with Antonino Rocco. And then he, quote-unquote, grew up and grew out of it. And he grew up and he grew out of comic books. And he grew up and he grew out of out of science fiction stuff and all this stuff. And he expected me to also grow up and grow out of all this stuff. And instead, I went the exact opposite direction, which I'm very proud of. Because I wouldn't be talking to you guys today if I had followed my dad's advice and, and become a... a, a a student of classical literature and 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 Latin and all this other bullshit that he wanted me to 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 learn. Um, instead, I devoted myself to you know wrestling and all this stuff. But my dad never took me to any matches. And I never went to any, so it was really hard to ever you know uh, uh, see anything live. And there was very it wasn't on TV very much. It was in that late '70s time. It pretty much went off the air out here in the Bay Area, and you couldn't find anything, and it wasn't until the early 80s, about 83, when we got cable again at our house. We were one of the first houses to get cable because we had terrible, we were at kind of this valley part of Tiburon where there's just no over-the-air reception, and we got very early version of TBS's uh, Mid-South Wrestling, and I just like, like, oh my God, this is Wrestling on a level that, you know, you can't even compare with the WWF at that time or the AWA. I was like, this is this is the real deal. And I was really entranced. And then I started watching the the uh, the uh, NWA broadcasts that were on uh, TBS every Saturday. They, they remember they had a two hour show that they would run. Yeah. At fourth. Four thirty-five, and you know, you, you sometimes you would have wrestling. You know, you you didn't have enough video. How about this for for going back in the day? You didn't have enough videotape to blank videotape to record the show on, so you had to catch the show as it aired because otherwise you'd never be able to record it. Now, now back in that time, who were the managers? That, I guess was Paul Jones a manager back then? Did he have a uh, Paul uh, Jones? Yeah. You had the uh, four horsemen at their 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 peak. Yeah, yeah, JJ Dillon. Dillon. You had Cornette. It was great. You had Gary Hart. Gary Hart, yes, excellent manager. And you had Skandor Akbar. You had uh, um, uh, Adnan L. Casey in the AWA. Um, and uh, uh, I mean, Casey was really about the biggest managerial talent there. And then you know, in in the WWF. At that time, you know, you had like Johnny Valiant and and Freddie Blassie, and and some of those other guys, you know, coming in. And then, of course, shortly after that, Andy Kaufman made his debut in in Memphis. And as I said, I just I just blew up. I mean, I was always a big Andy Kaufman fan from his time in Saturday Night Live. I thought he just 
uh, he understood performance art and how to manipulate an audience probably better than anyone ever will. That is my belief, is that, 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 that short of being like a terrible dictator like you know, Hitler, um, uh, Andy Kaufman knew how to get a reaction, the reaction he wanted out of any crowd he was in front of. And, and that he had an inside man with Bob's Muda was absolutely fantastic. And it's something that I did with my brother. He would be my, my plant in the audience. And he would give me research. He'd give me feedback about, like, which people reacted, which people didn't react to my stuff. You know, and I would form, I would get to know these audiences better. And I would form what I call Buddy Satello's Pockets of Hate in the audience. And that's the, the area you want to stoke up. You want to get those people angry and upset at you and furious at you. And then when they're about to respond back, because their minds usually are working so slow because they're so drunk and they're on something, you just you go away from them. And then you rob them of the satisfaction of getting any one-liners back at you. But you've pelted them with about 50 one-liners and they just look like total idiots in front of their friends. And then that makes them even angrier at you, and that generates even more heat from the crowd. And I tell you, there was a time, I don't know if you remember when, when um, uh, Sports Illustrated did the cover story on, on wrestling with Hulk Hogan and everything. Mm-hmm. And part of one of part of that, this is like eighty four, eighty five. They interviewed the magnificent Morocco, and he said about like how much it meant to him to get the audience to do what he wants, and what a payoff that is to him. And I swear to you guys, now I don't know if you guys have ever been. I I don't really know if either of you guys have been ever involved in indie wrestling on your own. No, you guys have never been in the ring. Other than as no, no, not 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 in not as in the ring. No, no. Okay, well, I mean, it is it is your show's name, so I, I am I am I am uh, I have a right to 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 ask that question. I believe. Well, yeah, we're no, in the ring I mean, interviewing both, other people who had are our, in the ring. You know, we both had our fingers in the wrestling pot at some point in the past. That's just neither of us were ever a, a in ring performer. Okay, well, there's. I mean, don't you guys ever wonder, like, why people go through all of this? Have you, have you guys performed at all, like, as a musician or as a, uh, you know... Oh, uh, yeah, I've, uh, I've been on stage many times. Okay, so there you go. Stage is really very much like what you're doing with wrestling, except there's no script. But when you, as an actor, have people believing that you aren't an actor anymore but you're actually the character that's in the play and that that's who you actually are, that's when you've done an amazing job as an actor, right? Yeah. And that connection that you, that you get from the audience viewing you as an actor, being that role and doing it so convincingly is a drug that people get really addicted to. It just is. It's just a human drug. It's it's not it's not a narcotic. It's 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 why people are musicians and why people are 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 performance bakers. You know, we see on on TV all those cooking shows where you know cooking now has become a performance art, or you name it. You know, whether you're in the rodeo or in the Olympics or whatever you're yeah. doing there. Any you know? those those Thursday night shifts you do at Chippendales that counts, right? That does. So that's, yeah. that's, that's performance art. Yeah, and and then the Friday night shift at the uh, the old woman's senior home where they they pay me in uh, tapioca pudding and buffalo nickels. That counts too. <laughs> oh, you guys. So I'm getting too serious I mean, not, for you. Not, not for anything though. But I, I, in my opinion, the manager just adds dimension to the, to a professional wrestling match. That is like, it just takes it to another level. A good a good heel manager. With, with you know what they can do, don't you agree? Well, have you ever been a fan of Warner Brothers cartoons? Which I am almost oh, sure you oh, guys. Absolutely. Okay, do you remember there was a cartoon with the big, tough bulldog that's wearing a sweater, sweater and there's a little right. and, a, and a little top hat. Yes, and then there's a little yappy dog that's his pal, right? 
and he runs yeah. all around him, and he's like, "You're gonna go beat him up. You're gonna go. You're gonna go. You know." Uh, and then, like, right? Yes, yes. And 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 I always loved that concept in wrestling that you had the big, tough bodyguard, but kind of dull-witted and not sharp enough that he needs the manager to like do the energetic stuff and the mic stuff and all the things he's not able to do, but he has his ass has to wind up paying the price for the yappy bull, the yappy dog next to him and all the stuff he says. He winds up having to, to, to cash the check that this other guy's ass is putting on the line. So yeah, you know, I, I always love that oh, kind sorry, of relationship. Now, I love that kind of relationship, and in doing so, the manager has to show a genuine concern of the talent that he has is going to win, and is going to look good, and is going to beat the other guy up severely and make sure that, he, that the manager himself is not going to have to wind up getting beaten up or put in a weasel suit or, or a cage or, <laughs> or you know handcuffed to the the ropes or anything like that you know and it's funny you listen to interviews from jim Cornette and jj Dillon and some of these guys and it's not just excuse me it's not just the in-ring side like uh what they did on the road what they did behind the scenes managers played such a unique unique role because they were involved and they were there and they did their stuff but they weren't the like you said the you know, muscle of the business back then. I mean, sometimes the managers were the ones keeping guys in line on the road and doing all that stuff. But you, you talk about you you you're perfect when you said the weasel suit. I mean, watching somebody get their hands on Bobby Heenan got a bigger pop than some people winning a title. But sure, it, sure, it, because it's a build. You build oh, up absolutely. the hatred for that guy so absolutely. much, and you want to see him pay, and especially. People who are in blue-collar and lower jobs, you know, usually have bosses that they don't like. And they see within the manager character the boss they don't like. And they see them using the muscle like they're being used to, like, do the bidding and reap all the profits. And meanwhile... The, the tough guy, you know, the average working guy has to, you know, pay those those dues with his body and and has to take the bruises so that the, you know, manager or the boss man can wind up, uh, 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 not the big boss man, but, but the, 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 the guy who is the, the is quote unquote, the boss, uh, takes all the money and and flaunts it in front of uh, 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 the wrestler himself, and sort of you know keeps even though that guy's a heel. There's a certain level of compassion that the fan will get on someone saying, "Well, he's really being used by this manager to get what he wants." Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, I, Benny and I were talking before the show. And something I was I wanted to ask you about was your thoughts on timing. The the heel managers are virtually non-existent in mainstream wrestling today, but the few that there are, you know, somebody that has a, a usually like a female, um, uh, what's that valet. valet that 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 acts very heelish for them, or maybe the occasional heel manager uh, just for the WWE fans out there. Um, apparently the returning, I don't even know what name he goes by now, Happy or Baron Corbin or whatever, but it looks like JBL is going to be his mouthpiece. Yeah, I saw that last night. Yeah, I saw that last night. But um, you know, the, the managers like Bobby Heenan and, and Jim Cornette, and you mentioned some of the ones that, that could get their, their hands dirty, you know, Blassie with the cane or whatever. It was so quick. Cornette, uh, Cornette could, could slip on the apron, swing the racket, and be right down before the ref noticed. Or Bobby Heenan could hide Polly and hold the foot. With the phone. Polly dangerously with the phone. Exactly. Or, or the way Colonel Parker could grab the foot while he was, you know, he'd pull out the, the handkerchief to wipe his forehead and trip the guy up, and it was so smooth. 
But throw the roll of quarters in. Throw the roll of quarters into the ring. Exactly. But but nowadays you watch it and there's no timing. The somebody has to distract the referee who turns his back for what feels like forever. Usually it's a it's it's legitimately a minute or more. And somebody comes in and they swing the chair or they do some awful thing and then they can't get out of the ring fast enough and the the ref comes off looking stupid because they they either have to blatantly ignore what they what they're seeing because the timing is bad, or their right. back is turned for so long in a contact contest. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are. Uh, you know, Cornette talked about working spots, and I've heard JJ Dillon talking about working spots. Like I'm going to take this bump, and uh, you know, what is your thoughts on why timing? Why the heel managers today are so. I don't want to say bad. I don't want to criticize someone's work, but they're very ineffective for what makes a heel manager good. The timing is terrible. It almost seems like at no point are they actually working with their people. They're just there to look pretty or do something. And then when they have to get involved, it's deer in the headlights. Well, you know, this is one thing is that a lot of people don't realize. And yes, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly a, a, a bronze Adonis or, 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 you know, Jesse the Body Ventura or anything like that body-wise. But, but I studied the martial arts for over five years before I ever got in the ring. And I was a, uh, a jiu-jitsu, Okinawan jiu-jitsu green belt uh, that was practicing to get a brown belt. And the brown belt is the belt below black. So I was like mm-hmm. mid-level on my uh, level of jiu-jitsu. And Okinawan jiu-jitsu, unlike Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Okinawan jiu-jitsu is more like judo, where you you take a lot of falls, a lot of big falls, okay? And I felt confident that I could get into the ring and perform at least on a partial level like the wrestlers themselves. I knew enough about falling and how to protect myself in a fall that I could actually do that. And so... That was when bumping managers was a really big thing, and was, they were really into it. So I had to go every Saturday to uh, Hayward, which is about you know, a 45-minute drive from where I lived, to uh, get beaten, the crap beaten out of me by the APW staff. You know? And um, I also had to take uh, managers and valet class and the valet that was working on me was none other than Sarah Del Rey. Oh, nice. Wow. And she used to clobber me. She used to beat me up. She didn't know how to hold her punches or how to, like, you know. And it takes a lot of training to do that. To, especially Dan as an actor, stage fighting has always fascinated me. I am a fan of any kind of fight, whether it's legit or it's choreographed. I mean, I love martial arts and kung fu films, okay? I mm-hmm. love, you know, Batman fights, you know, on from the Batman TV show. I, to me, mo- one of the most fascinating things in the entire universe is humans' ability to choreograph a fight. I think that's just one, that's something that sets us apart, obviously, from all other creatures on the face of the earth, because none of them else when they fight, they really mean it. We're the, we're the only ones that, you know, try to make money off of, like, not actually hurting each other. But I like that, too. I've always liked the variety and the, the color that was all part of, like, a near superhero-like like scenario that you would have with wrestling. You had almost like a superhero-type world where it was all action. And I used to... I used to um, uh, videotape. My, my brother lived with this guy um, that didn't like wrestling at all. He hated it. He loved all of the sports, but he hated wrestling. So I would record um, the, uh, the best matches for like months. And then when, he, we, we, we would get together, we would just like watch eight hours of nonstop wrestling. Like, you know, like two video, solid videotapes of just nothing but like the best matches from, from, you know, uh, 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 Saturday night's main event or Monday uh, or when it was uh, uh, Tuesday night Titans. Do you remember that at all? When, oh, yeah. when before Raw ever came into existence, you know, they had, and, and stuff like superstars wrestling on the, on the weekends 
and and stuff from the the uh, TBS show and and even later like the global wrestling stuff that was on ESPN and WCW uh, World Class, you know that was that was on uh, uh, ESPN for a time. I don't know if you guys watched that when it was on. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I I would just make all these tapes and I would just. Call them action and more action and even more action and way more action and tons of action. And just, I stack them all up and we just like go through and just watch just almost what I'd say. We'd have like a toxic wrestling overload. We'd just like watch so much wrestling. It's like you couldn't even like, you know, see. Well, it's like, you know, sitting through one WrestleMania weekend now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, at least they're breaking it up. The year, the last year, they had it one night when it was in uh, the the New York, New Jersey uh, Giants Jets Stadium. The show was with the pre-show was just over seven and a half hours long. And I mean, Fan, fans I leaving the stadium at one thirty in the morning. Yeah, I've told you how much I love wrestling, and that's too much damn wrestling. <laughs> you know, it's just too. That's just too much. It really is, especially when it's just one company and it's all the, the the they just take every combination of what you've seen from the last like four or five smackdowns and raws and just throw them together on a card and you know and so you were talking about timing and i i've gotten far off that subject but <laughs> timing wise you know there the, it i think timing is everything i think timing is everything and i think it's incredibly hard because again you're an actor and you know that just having timing with a scripted material is something. Instead of improvising everything live and not having a script and still making sure your timing works. And I'll tell you something. Timing fails more often than you realize. Once you're in the ring, you realize there's stuff that guys will tell you. Okay, you need to get on the apron when there's a clothesline cut off, then I'm going to in, I'm going to give the guy an insiguri and knock him down, and then you jump up on the apron. And the guy will forget to do the insiguri. And so you're just like, okay. You, the guy say, you know what? We changed our minds, you know, after the match. Like, we changed our minds during the ring. You know, guy's knee got hurt, and you can't jump high enough to do one of those. So... You know, they decided to make it different. Then you're like, you have to look at the visual cues of the wrestlers. They're like, no, now you need to enter. You, now you need to get up on the apron. And it's it's hard. And especially if you're, you then, like, get distracted by the crowd or you get distracted by the other manager, if there was one, or valet or, you know, uh, 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 someone, you know, uh, uh, ringside then, you know, that whole spot can go by the wayside. And if you miss that cue, A, someone can get hurt, or B, you can get hurt, because, like, one time I remember in a battle royale where I was outside the ring, and I was just jawing with some fan, just really going back and forth, and this guy, Max Justice, who's 6'10", got thrown over the top rope, and his leg just, like, you know, whipped right over the top rope, and just conked me right on the head. I mean, I didn't see it. I didn't even know it was coming. I mean, stars showing and everything. I mean, I could have been hurt a lot worse. But, like, you know, you, you really need to, to the, the timing and understanding what the, how the match is booked is really important, not just so that everyone looks good and that people get over, but for your own safety and the safety of the, the guys who are working the show. So the, the the comment about only humans having the uh, the ability to choreograph a fight, I would, I just had this visual of two dogs meeting in the middle of the street, and one and one says to the other, "I'm going over tonight." I just, I guess, yeah. I, never, I guess I that's never happened. Uh, I, now I had a a comment and a question, and both of them involve Lou Albano, who I think is, in my opinion, the greatest manager of all time. But the the comment is the, he the WWWF brought in Crusher for Verdu in 1970 uh, to feud with Bruno, you know, get, get him a main event in Madison Square Garden. And Lou Albano was his manager. And 
mean, Crusher Verdue had the, the personality of a dead moth. And he couldn't, <laughs> have sold, he couldn't have sold out a bingo hall by himself. But Lou Albano, I mean, they, you know, he made it happen. And he got, I, I think they actually had, uh, they had two matches in Madison Square Garden. I, and I believe they were both sellouts. But that absolutely would not have happened if it was not for the, the genius of Lou Albano. That's my comment. And you can even comment on that after I ask the question. But the question yeah. is, uh, there's been so many, like in the history of me watching wrestling on TV, so many iconic moments that involve managers. And one of the most uh, iconic in my mind is when Jimmy Snuka, when they started turning him babyface, and uh, Lou Albano was his manager, and they had, I guess, Buddy Rogers for a while was doing a, uh, I think it was called Rogers Corner, and uh, you know, Buddy told Jimmy Snooky, "Is Jimmy, you have no money," you know, basically implying Lou Albano stole it all, and uh, you know that launched off a huge feud between. Uh, Jimmy Snuka and at first Ray Stevens and then, you know, Jimmy and Lou Albano. And I mean, Lou Albano was responsible for all of that. So I guess my question is, uh, do you have any memories like that? What What is your best, your favorite memory involving a manager? Oh, OK. Well, first of all, I want to say, do you remember who Spalding Gray was? The guy who did swimming to Cambodia and Monster in a Box. No. Okay. Um, so then this will be somewhat lost on you. But in history, there's a handful of, it's not a handful, it's more than, than a small handful, but there are people who are totally insane and yet are able to completely and cogently verbalize their thoughts. Lou Albano was one of them. He was totally insane, he was. but he could, he was able to verbalize it in a way that made everybody understand what he was talking about and did his bidding. And he was, nobody ever cut a better promo than Lou Albano. I mean, as far as like right from the stream of consciousness, even the kind of stuff that Annie Kaufman did pales in comparison to how much he was kind of like the, the okay, here's a Mad Magazine reference for you. He's the Sergio Aragonez. Of, of promotion. And that is that you remember that Sergio Aragonis used to draw stuff in the, the sides of, of all the margins of every Mad Magazine and in the columns and all that stuff. Do you remember that? His little, his little like, sketches that he would just have running along the, the margins of every Mad comic? <laughs> yeah. And it, it, he was like that, too. It's that... Captain Alabama was always thinking, always generating some wrestling-related concept that he would be able to get his men to do even when they weren't able to think of it themselves. And his ability to promote that and to put that over is something that I wish more wrestling managers knew how to do because that's how you do it. And, and while Lou Albano was okay with singles guys, he was the greatest tag team manager that ever lived. That is the, the thing that I believe about Lou Albano. I think there are other managers who could co compare their singles records to his. And I don't think his single stuff was his specialty. When he worked with tag teams, there was nobody better than Lou Albano. And so I always tried, when I worked with tag teams, to pick up things from Lou Albano and how he managed his tag teams. To, uh, to get my tag teams over. And I, I loved managing tag teams. I, that's the best. That is, that is the best part of, of pro wrestling. When you're a manager and you manage a really good tag team and they win the championship, that to me was even better than managing a world champion. I, I enjoyed being managers of the uh, Bad Apples who wound up being the Stoner Brothers that run Hood Slam. And, and are part of the Stoner U uh, training facility out in Oakland. And, and those guys were just... To, to, because there a manager can really do something. You can work with your team and brainstorm with them and the other team how your stuff is going to work. And if it works well and your tag team understands that you're working with them to get them over 
then you can do a lot of great stuff together as a three-man unit. It's, there's just so many cool things, so many angles that you can do as a tag team as opposed to when it's just uh, promoting a single wrestler. I just, I had my best time being, so you're saying a, a manager moment that was really fantastic. Um, well, with Lou Albano, I thought when he fed um, uh, uh, Morocco the meatball sub, when he oh beat up God. the job, and then he wound up slipping on the sandwich and yes. falling, and everybody went just insane. That, that was just, that was simple comedy that the WWE can't get anymore. It doesn't understand simple comedy. It understands dumb comedy, but it takes too long to unfold, and it's not simple stuff. And simple would make us laugh, like Mad Magazine used to. Okay? Mad Magazine was great at simple one-liner comedy that didn't take a lot of build-up and 20 minutes worth of interviewing to get to the point. The WWE's lost that, and I think wrestling itself has sort of lost that ability. Even AEW has some pretty long-ass promos, if you ask me. What's gone is shtick, okay? The Mel Brooksian style shtick that used to be so funny because it was rapid fire. Do you guys ever watch Robot Chicken? <laughs> yeah. That's shtick, okay? And very well done because it's rapid fire. And it's something that works with a short attention span. Wrestling has lost its ability to appeal to the short attention span now. And it's paying the price, even though ratings are better. I still wasn't utterly thrilled with what I saw on Raw this week. It didn't totally bowl me over. It was better, you know. Yeah. It's like buying a better TV dinner. You know, you're going from from the uh, 99-cent, you know, budget uh, banquet, <laughs> you know. Uh, one, yeah, now you're getting, like, Marie Callender's, but it's still not that good. Still, and I, I hope Marie Callender's isn't a sponsor or banquet, you know. <laughs> no. TV dinners isn't, isn't a sponsor to, sponsor to you guys, but... But you get the point, right? Is that, that they're still just microwaving stuff and handing it to you. There's still a lack of like, okay, we're going to actually bring you the kind of wrestling that, in a way, the NWA was doing before COVID locked everything out and when they had the question mark and stuff like that. That was stuff that I thought wrestling should try to get back to. And to do, like, maybe it would be great to see, like, next be, like, a studio-type show instead of trying to compete in arenas like they do. I don't know. Maybe that's just me rambling. And I know I didn't answer enough uh, funny manager moments on that. But You know, what, you what said, I really think is interesting about all everything that you said, though, is, you know, the, two of the things, and Evan actually wrote a... Uh, a story for uh, pro wrestling stories about things he misses about uh, about wrestling that uh, you know that existed back in the day but don't anymore. And I, one of them was managers, and I believe one of them was an emphasis on tag team wrestling. You don't see either one of those. I mean, I think you know Vince McMahon for the last five ten years has given lip service to tag team wrestling. Now, I think I think with Triple H in charge now. I think that will change, and hopefully, you know, the emphasis on a manager, or you know, besides Paul Heyman, get some more managers in there. Uh, Buddy Sotelo is totally available. Absolutely. Vince wants to give me a call, and all the terrible things I've said about Vince, or or all the things that I've said terrible about Triple H, I will sign whatever they need to say to say I apologize. Well, if 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 Eric Bischoff can go work for Monday Night Raw, I think there's no line that they won't forgive at some point. <laughs> That's a very good point. That's a very good point. Yeah, I, yeah, you know, and again, I miss managers. I miss tag team wrestling. But what I miss more is shtick. You know, because if shtick works, you can bring in managers again. Because managers are shtick, right? Really? 
when you, yeah. you boil it all down, right? There's sort of living versions of it. And the ability to, like, deliver a comedic side as well as, you know, a sinister side of wrestling that is missing right now. And, like, that, that additional thing that makes you hate someone. You can assign the right manager to someone and turn them from, from face to heel within minutes, you know? And you really don't need much because... Fans just hate managers. In fact, that you, well, that was one question you were going to ask me was about Arnold Scullin and him being a face manager. I will say, I had to do face managing a couple times in my career, and it was the most uncomfortable, like, five to seven minutes of my life. It's totally like, off. It's like bland oatmeal, right? I can't do it. I can't do it. I would rather, you know what, have me just be a ring photographer then or or a, a backup referee or something like that. I mean, if, you, if you're going to bring me in on the show and you're just going to have me be a cheerleader, no one cheerleads for the guy that's, you know, the, they'll, they'll cheerlead for a valet that's pretty and that, you know, can, can act like a face. But I've never been a good face, ever. In fact, if you go and you look at the uh, uh, indie handshake, it's on the Internet, my match with the Super Destroyer against um, Barry Horowitz. Barry Horowitz came in. You know, you always want to do, first of all, I respect him to the utmost degree. He was a very nice guy, very nice guy. <laughs> but he said, well, you know, in all the territories I've been in, I've been working the heel. I've been the heel. And, like, me and Mark Smith, who was uh, Super Destroyer 2000, like, looked at each other. We're like, the fans hate us in this venue. The people who are here absolutely can't stand us. They boo the crap out of us every time we're here. We really should make you the face. He's like, no, I really want to be a heel. So we tried to be, like, it was basically two heels against each other. They just... Was it was just really uncomfortable because he would do heel-like moves and the fans would still cheer him, and then he would react to it like he was upset at that. And it was really awkward. It was you, you can see it online, and so you, and then the, do you guys know who Tom Caster is? I've heard the name before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a he's a, a ref on Next, and he's also been in some WWE shows. And and Tom is the nicest guy in the world. When the, when he when his career is done with the WWE, I will get him on your show, and he'll be on my show. We started training together back in the day, and he is the nicest guy in the world. But he totally missed a spot. And there was supposed to be a cutoff part where uh, uh, Barry Horowitz was supposed to stop the spinning toehold, and he missed it. And Tom missed it. And so the match goes on for like another eight minutes. And it should have ended. And we didn't know what to do. And it's so awkward. And I mean, it's three great guys in the ring. Tom Caster, Barry Horowitz, and Mark the Bison Smith. And they just didn't know what to do with each other. And it just, it just, it's just, we finished the match and everyone, I mean, we went back and everyone patted Barry Horowitz on the back and said, good job, good job. We, all three of us looked at each other and we're like, we will never do something like that ever again. And we're like, agreed, agreed. That's that. We won't, we won't talk about this again. We won't, we won't uh, uh, mention this match again. And here it is 20 years later. I think the statute of limitations run on it. So <laughs> so I can talk about it again with you guys. But it's on the, on the Internet if you ever want to catch that. So I, I do have a question before we run out of time. So a hypothetical question. Buddy Satello is on death row, and you have one last meal. Are you getting Jewish or Italian? I'm getting Jewish food. I'm sorry what, about what that. Are you, what are you getting specifically? I'm getting I'm getting my grandmother's brisket. Which, Ooh, oh, okay. I'm going to be making good. that a version of it this week. I love it so much. It's with onions and it's with uh, a really special sauce and flavoring. And it cooks all day, and you can cut it with a fork, and it just melts completely in your mouth. It's just it's to die for, as my New York relatives used to say. 
And th- then I joined that with a bunch of latkes, fresh-made potato latkes that have uh, sour cream and applesauce with them. And then, you know, uh, uh, you probably uh, uh, you serve that with um, uh, uh, glazed carrots. Oh, my God. So oh, nice. my God. Oh, my God, that's so good. And then you have um, brownies, walnut brownies for dessert with ice cream and fudge sauce on top of it. Oh, my God. You make me so hungry. What, what, <laughs> you mentioned you were hungry. So what is the difference between a latke and a knish? A uh, latke is a potato pancake. A knish is inside of a um, particular – you put the potato filling inside the um, uh, dough, and then you cook the dough. So and you bake that, and so and I think it has sour cream in it inside the knish itself. The the potato and the sour cream are all mixed together and put into a a a dish there. And I, you look, I am not look. If you then countered with fettuccine carbonara, okay, for your Italian stuff, plus really fresh fresh made garlic bread, you know, and and. Yeah, and, and, and you got a bowl of, like, really awesome minestrone soup. Oh, and my God. Yeah, I would be very hard-pressed. I love, love fettuccine carbonara. I just, that, that I would, you know, walk through a, 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 a plate glass window for some of that stuff if it was, you know, uh, and gave me enough Parmesan cheese with it. Yeah, I would. <laughs> I mean, that, that, I mean, there's there some Italian, and, and, and I'm a huge pizza fan, and I'm a, a huge fan I make a tremendous lasagna, but I don't use ricotta cheese, so that would get me excommunicated by, you know, by... I, I made that joke at the top of the hour, and I'm very, very proud and happy that I'm Italian, and I don't eat ricotta cheese either. I have several recipes that I use other things instead, so you're not alone. Oh, man. Good man. Okay. You know, it's nice to hear. So, you know, no, I mean, I, look, that being said, I love Chinese food and I love uh, uh, Mexican food, especially here in California where, where, you know, we're so close to the border and, and, um, uh, uh, you know, there's all sorts of great cuisines out there. And, and certainly, you know, in places like, uh, 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 New York and, and in San Francisco and in LA, there's just some amazing restaurants. So, so I, I I don't want to put any other food down, but it's just the the, st- the food that you grew up with, especially that you can associate, you know, those positive times of growing up with your grandmother or your mother making stuff. My mom used to make this um, uh, beef stroganoff that I've never been able to replicate. That is, and she used to serve it over those picnic sticks. Do you remember those things? Mm-hmm. Those little, those little, those little. Uh, overcooked uh, shoestring potatoes that you get in a can. Yeah. yeah Those are like the worst sticks. things in the world for you. By the way, if you ever like want to consider, the reason why they've disappeared is because they're like 98% trans fat. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. But, oh my God, we used to love that. If I could ever duplicate that recipe again, you know, but it went with my mom and she died in 97. So, you know, there's just things you associate with things growing up that will never be the same. My, my grandmother's dollhouse cookies. I mean, I've never been able to duplicate that recipe, even though I have it. It just is the way she used to make them that would be better than anybody else could do it. And so you'll always have those memories. And, and, and as much as I like to cook, you can try to duplicate it, but you're always going to make your own version of it, but it's never going to be quite the same as, as when you're, you're, the people that you love made it for you. Can't can't go wrong with that. Final thoughts for the night, Benny. Well, I mean, kind of another Seinfeld episode, like we, you know, we, you know, Buddy and I had the other night where you know we talked about everything and anything. I yeah. love it. I, mean, I could I could easily talk to you guys for another hour about all sorts of stuff we didn't bring up, <laughs> but it's always saved best for another show when you guys are desperate for another guest. And um, I just have a super fun time. If you guys were here in California, I would totally be, you know, partying with you guys up until tip-off of the Warriors game. And then if you didn't root for the Warriors, I'd kick your asses out. 
My all-time well, favorite player was a member of the Warriors. You know that, Rick Barry, number number 24. You mean Steph Curry. My, my, <laughs> my favorite player of all time is Rick Barry. I love Rick Barry. You mean Steph Curry. I understand. Yeah. You mispronounced Steph Curry and said it's Rick Barry. It's the New York accent. Yeah, it, it's actually Steph Curry. You thank you. Well, I've actually met Rick Barry. He's an interesting individual, but that's a story for another show. For one of these days, I would be happy to do an all sport. You know, not just wrestling, but just do a sports roundtable and just go from tip to stem to stern. And we can do it on one of our my shows too. I'd love to have you guys just expound upon sports topics for for a show. Although I don't know how I post it to all my wrestling sites because. They, they they sometimes actually listen to those things and go, wait a minute, this ain't about wrestling in the 80s. And, uh, so I, I, they, and you remember what he said, Benny, where he owes us one, so you got to wait, time zones, whatever they are, until until he's asleep in bed in his underwear, and then we'll call him last minute to be on the show. <laughs> 3 a.m. Yeah, or, no, more like, yeah, more like six year time or something like that. Right. But we, uh, well, I really appreciate being on the show this week. And, 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 you know, anytime you guys want, want me on the show, I'd be happy to be on. And uh, let, me, let me promote uh, wrestling and everything coast to coast. That's Facebook.com. Yes. If you go to Facebook.com and then go to wrestling slash wrestling and everything coast to coast. That will get you to our, our home page. And then we also are on YouTube, and you can type wrestling and everything coast to coast on YouTube. With Mike Leno, we have some great guests. We have the Chicano Flame coming up this weekend. We have uh, uh, Ryan Bowman from Sports Kita. So, and then hopefully we can get you guys back on the show again, too. I, I really enjoyed having you. Watch the episode from uh, eight days ago. It's a great episode. I, I will. I will indeed. So well, no, you were that was the one we were on. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yes indeed. I enjoyed <laughs> well, it. You it, have it. It, it was fun. It was it was like it was two guys hanging out, drinking a beer, eating uh, boneless garlic wings and uh just you know shooting a breeze talking about baseball, wrestling and, and anything else in between. Absolutely. If you didn't get yeah, if you didn't get enough of me tonight, that's a good way. You'll definitely have enough of Buddy Stella if you watch that one. So, oh, Buddy, thank you again so much for your time. Wrestling everything coast to coast. Buddy Stella for the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. I'm Dan Spasciano. Have a good night, everyone, and we will see you next time we're in the ring. Adios.